All right. Good morning, CIL. You guys doing well? Awesome. Oh, man. It really makes my joy full to hear uh, you guys singing out to the Lord. When we, sing, when we sang this morning, all hail King Jesus, and to hear the voices of this congregation lifting up the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, worshiping the Lord, man, that was, that was beautiful, wonderful. And, and we rejoice and join in with all of heaven singing, holy is the Lord. Amen? Well, I want you to, if you're able, we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to continue our series, Joyful in our series working through Philippians. But I want you, if you're able to stand as we read God's word, we're going to Philippians 4, verse 1 through verse 7. I'll give you just a second to get there. The word says this, So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. Today, the title of the message is A Community That Rejoices. A Community That Rejoices. This word rejoicing is a a very biblical word. It's not uh, outside of Monty Python, you know, and there was much rejoicing. Yay. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. All right. That uh, it's not often used. And I'll tell you, we're going to just delve real quick into the great gap in the modern English language. And this gap actually affects the way that we read scripture. And oftentimes, it is a hindrance to the way that we read Scripture. And it's important as we dig into our Scripture today that we get this straight, okay? And that is the great gap. There are many gaps. There are many difficult things in the English language. But the great gap in the English language is you. Not you in particular, okay? The word you, all right? There, there is no way to understand re- reading something except maybe in context, and sometimes it's difficult even in context to understand what the you is. Are you talking about you as a singular person, or are you talking about you as a plural, you as a group of people, right? And that is why throughout history, ever since the 1600s when we dropped thee and thou, ye and you, Thee and thou was the singular, right? Thee, I extol thee, I exalt thee. They were talking about one, right? Or ye, ye people of great worth, ye people of this community. We're talking about a plural you, right? But we dropped that because that was old school. But now we've created really difficult problems for ourselves that people have tried throughout history to correct. The Scottish said they used the word yees, all right? Uh, 
maybe blame the Midwest for you guys, okay? Uh, blame the East Coast for you guys, right? Pastor Aaron and them are in Boston. I'm sure there's some of that. Blame the Irish for you all. Blame, blame the South for y'all. That's right. Come on now. Okay, Ewans. Blame Pittsburgh for Ewans. Apparently, as, I'm, uh, as I was studying this, Pittsburgh has a real claim on Ewans, Yins, Yins disease, something like that. All right, Pittsburghese for that. But since we're not going to back to the thous and the these and the yees, although uh, my son likes, he has this, he has a series of books that he's writing actually on medieval, kind of in medieval Viking times, and he loves these and thous. It's a pretty awesome thing. Um, but you grammar police, you folks that get on us about using y'all. As in the words of Predator fans everywhere, it's all your fault, right? It's your fault that you took away our these and thous and our yees and yous. You took it away. So don't get on us about saying y'all or you guys or yous guys or youins or whatever. Just accept it. Now, there is a point to why I'm saying this, all right? Besides, I just need to get on a soapbox about y'all, you know what I'm saying? I just had to get there. But... Here's the point, is that when we read scripture, oftentimes the you is a plural you. That you are part of something. And in our individualistic, self-centered culture that says you are the center of the universe, the word speaks a different you. The word tells you that you are part of something, and the world is longing to be part of something. People are striving and suffering and becoming worn out and burned out just to say that they are part of something. There are people on TikTok right now who are well known for their ailments. They are actually famous for having... Uh, a syndrome called Tourette syndrome, which is a real syndrome. But then there's these other people who follow them who all, all of a sudden start manifesting symptoms of Tourette's online. And it's because these people don't actually have Tourette's. It's just because they've seen that there's some kind of community. There's some kind of attention. There's some type of, of just belonging and they're longing to belong, so they start manifesting or try, trying to put on these different symptoms that people who have Tourette's wish they could be rid of, right? But they just want to belong. And friends, I just want to encourage you today that you belong here. You individually belong to a bigger you called the community of faith. That when you choose to follow Jesus, when you choose to surrender your life to him, you are part of a greater you. And that's what we need to keep in our minds as we read Philippians chapter 4 today. This is a collective letter. It's a letter written to the community of faith in Philippi. And we'll come to back to this scripture, but I, I want to just kind of give us a little context for you to understand who the you is that Paul is talking to. The Philippian church began when Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke visited Philippi in AD 50. It was the first church in Europe moving the gospel outside of a more densely populated areas where there were many Jews, many 
people who were believing Jews. And now they're moving farther out into this place where there weren't as many synagogues and the density of population of, of people who believed in the Jehovah, the one true God. They weren't as many people. So this is the first church in what we know as modern day Europe. Paul's letter to the Philippians was written in a prison cell 12 years later, likely in Rome. So 12 years between the time the church started and the time that he wrote Philippians. Interesting perspective there, right? I think sometimes we read the Bible and we think of great expanses of time, but it's only 12 years. Paul wrote with great joy, but he was not in a position of happiness. He was in a prison cell, likely with his own execution looming. And yet he wrote to the Philippians with such great joy. That's why Pastor called this series Joyful. And really over and over, Paul, even in that scripture in 4 verse 1, you are my joy and my crown. In verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Think about this. Paul pinning these letters behind the bars of a cell. Joyful. Pastor Chuck Swindoll says this, the Apostle Paul did not write Philippians in response to a crisis as he did with Galatians and Colossians. Instead, he wrote to express his appreciation and affection for the Philippian believers. Paul's affection for these people is clear throughout the letter as he encouraged them to live out their faith in joy and unity. Think about it for a second. How good was it for Paul to write this letter? Has anybody ever had a day where you had to write some really hard emails, really bad emails? You had to deliver bad news like you're fired, okay? Uh, Sorry for the Trump, that was bad. (laughs) No, listen, you just had to write bad emails all day or you had to make bad phone calls. You're like, oh gosh. But then there was that one call that you got to make that was good news, right? Paul has spent time sending letters to the Corinthian church and they were messed up to the Galatians who were having a lot of trouble, to the Colossians who were having difficulty. And finally, he gets to write a letter to the Philippians. He's like, oh, my joy and my crown. Thank God you guys aren't messed up like these other towns, these other churches. Isn't that a wonderful relief? And I just want you to put yourself in Paul's place and imagine the lightness and the joy and the just the deep breath he's, and the sigh of relief he's getting to take when he's writing to the Philippians. My joy and my crown in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. That's a beautiful, beautiful scripture. So the actual journey to Philippi was part of Paul's second missionary journey. And it was the result of two arguments and a vision. So, really, it's recounted in Acts chapter 15 and 16. I want you to write that down, Acts 15 and 16. You need to, after today, this afternoon, go back and read. That's your homework. Read Acts 15 and 16. And this is the recounting of the founding of the Philippian church. And really, it started with a disagreement. Paul and Barnabas were together at the time. And Acts 15 begins with Paul and Barnabas, the scripture says, engaged in serious argument and debate. Okay, with Jewish believers in Antioch. They were called the Judaizers who believed that new Gentile converts should also be circumcised according to Jewish customs. And Paul and Barnabas were disagreeing with them on this. And so they brought that argument to Jerusalem and they had a council and the, the, 
the conclusion was made that the Gentiles do not have to follow this custom because they and us, everyone, has been saved by grace alone. So that's a beautiful thing, a very powerful conclusion that the church came to right here. But it started with a really engaged in serious argument and debate. Friends, don't be afraid of serious argument and debate. And one of my main points today to you is that the church is a place where it should be safe and good and healthy to have serious argument and debate. And the true unity comes through that. So Paul did, Paul and Barnabas now, that was the first argument. The second argument is that Paul and Barnabas were arguing about whether to take John Mark on their next missionary journey. They were like, okay, it's time to set out. It's time to go visit the other churches that we went to. We're time to encourage them and lift them up and maybe visit some new places. But Barnabas was like, hey, let's take John Mark. And Paul's like, no, John Mark deserted us last time. And Barnabas is like, no, he's changed. And who, who is a Paul in this place? And you're like, uh-uh, not taking John Mark with us. Come on, don't be afraid to raise your hand. Anybody a Paul? Anybody a Barnabas? Oh, but we love him. He's changed. He's good. Come on, bring. Anybody Barnabas is in this place? All right. So you can see the argument. Some of you are like, Paul was right. I mean, Paul was in it. I mean, I don't know what Barnabas was thinking. This John Mark, he's going to desert us again. He's just going to turn and run. He's a coward, and that's okay. You know, he could just stay here in Jerusalem and just kind of serve the church, but he's not coming with us. And the others of you are like, Barnabas, man, you know, we got to give him a chance to redeem himself. This is John Mark's chance. Which one of you would be right? Which one of you is wrong? The real answer is that neither one of you are right or wrong. And the real answer is that sometimes God uses disagreements to multiply the effectiveness of the gospel. Because what happened here was when Paul and Silas teamed up and Luke went with them, they went in one direction and Barnabas and John Mark went in another direction and God multiplied the effectiveness of the ministry through a disagreement. Think about that. We are... We are so positioned in our culture to agree. We are so uh, indoctrinated that we should, you should agree together. Even in the church, it's like, man, when we see disagreement, we think, oh, what's wrong with you? There's something wrong with you or is there something wrong with me? It's like, no. What if God is using different people in different places to bring the gospel to further reaches? Consider that this morning. Paul and Barnabas disagreed. It said in Acts 15, 39, listen to this. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Sometimes disagreement is God designed. So Paul and Silas then continued on to Galatia where he meets Timothy, a pivotal character in the, and plays a pivotal role in the Philippian church. And God, but then God messes up Paul's plans. He thought he was going to visit these churches, but God brings him a vision of a Macedonian man. And Macedonia is this territory we talked about before of like the further reaches. Now we're crossing over new borders. We're taking the gospel to new places. And the Macedonian man says, hey, come, come and preach to us. Come and teach us the good news. And upon arriving there in Macedonia, they, they take a 10-mile hike from the coast into Philippi, an influential city in Macedonia. And they meet a woman there named Lydia. She believes in God. She believes in Jehovah God. She's not a Jew, but she's a believer. 
Somehow she has heard the, the, the message of God's love for her. And she's a believer. She's a, a merchant dealing in purple cloth, it says. And as they meet with some of the women there along the, the shore of the river, and they're praying, they're, apparently there wasn't a synagogue there. Otherwise, they would have gone and preached in the synagogue. So that tells you that there weren't as many Jews uh, densely populated in that area. So as they're praying, there's a slave girl who these men who own her use her because she can see the future. She could tell the future. Somehow she has a spirit, an evil spirit that allows her to somehow either act like she knows the future or she does. Not sure what this Bible's not technically uh, clear about that. But she follows Paul and Silas around saying, these men are declaring the word of the, the one true God, the most high God. And she's basically mocking them. And for, for days... It happens. We don't know how long this is, but it's long enough to be obnoxious. Okay, anybody ever had a child that says something over and over and you're like, all right, I can do this. But then there's a point at which it becomes long enough that it needs to be done. Right? Right, brothers? (laughs) Um, And so Paul turns around and he casts this evil spirit out of her. And she is freed from the spirit. Well, these guys, the owners of this woman, they were upset because they were making money. And so they had Paul and Silas dragged from that place and they beat them almost to the point of death. They beat them without a trial and then they threw them in the deep depths of a prison. On a commentary on on this scripture, it says, their situation must have looked bleak. How could these Jewish foreigners possibly find any forum where they could protest their arrest and treatment? They certainly had no way to escape. Just get this. At that moment, it must have looked as though they might spend the rest of their lives in that terrible place. Now, we get the privilege of reading the scripture and realizing that they were only there for about 12 hours, right? I mean, this was an awesome celebration, okay? Like, They start, they're in the depths of this prison, and the story is that they start to pray and to worship and rejoice, and an earthquake comes and breaks off all their shackles and opens all the prison doors. There's lots of songs about that, right? But just prior to that, just prior to that, I want you to hear the man who writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Writing this from another prison cell. Writing this from another place of captivity. He's writing to the church that was born from a moment where he was held captive and his life was possibly over. And yet they rejoiced. And yet they rejoiced. They were thrown in solitary confinement, in maximum security. There was no way out. But they rejoiced. It's possible that they thought in their minds, we might be doing this for the rest of our lives. But if we are going to be here, wherever we are going to be, we are going to sing the praise of Jesus. We are going to rejoice. And friends, it would be good for us to have that conviction in our lives that wherever I am, wherever the Lord takes me, wherever this journey of following Jesus takes me, I will rejoice. That's the beauty of what 
what we have as Christ followers, there is, there is freedom to rejoice in every circumstance. There is freedom for you. There is a call for you to rejoice. Why? Because your hope is not in only this, for only this life. Paul says elsewhere, if our hope in Christ is for only this life, then we are to be pitied among all men. But we're not, and that's why we can rejoice. That's why we, like Paul, can stand here everywhere, anywhere we are. And we can lift up our, our voices to the Lord. Here's our gospel reading from today. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. This is Jesus. Some red letters here for you. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. One of my friends posted a really a wonderful thing on Facebook. It was just expressing a very clear truth about the gospel. And he received so much uh, negative feedback. People attacked him very vehemently. <laughs> and I love that he, he got home. He had gone somewhere and he got home. And on his front doorstep was a bottle of champagne and a gift wrapped for him. And it was some friends who said, hey, Luke six twenty two. Rejoice when you are reviled. Rejoice. This is not a day to be sad when you get negative comments on Facebook because you posted something truthful. This is a day to rejoice. That's a beautiful perspective, a different perspective than what you're sold in the marketplaces of the world. So we have them at the earthquake in Philippi. Their chains have been unlocked. The doors have been swung wide open. And they see the shadow, the silhouette of the jailer. And he's trying to, the Philippian jailer, he's trying to commit suicide. Because he figures, he's come in, he's in his PJs. He's like running in. What just happened, okay? It's likely that the, the earthquake didn't just shake that little building. It's likely that it shook the whole town. So he felt it. He comes running in. He sees the doors are open. He's like, I'm a dead man. There's no, I'm going to be executed because all these prisoners have left. And just as he's about to do this, Paul and Silas say, stop, wait, wait, don't do it. Everyone is here. Why did the prisoners stay? Ask yourself that question. I I love when we stop and we we just read scripture and we go, why? It opens, up, it opens up new pathways of understanding. I want you to, this week as you read, maybe when you're reading Acts 15 and 16, I pray that you would become curious about the word of God. That you would become curious when you read scripture. Curiosity is a wonderful thing, a gift of God to us. So, why were the rest of the prisoners just sitting there? I would say they were probably there because a likely conclusion is that they were being compelled by the good news of the gospel and by the power of God in that place. That Paul and Silas were probably sharing and declaring the word of God to them. And they were, they were just entranced. They were taken by the word of God. And they, couldn't, they didn't want to escape. Because Paul and Silas had something far greater than the freedom that was out there on the streets. And so the jailer, having been called away from this moment of disaster, he says, well, what must I do to be saved? 
It's possible that he overheard Paul and Silas before. Why was that his first reaction? He said, what must I do to be saved? He must have heard them talking. He must have heard them singing. And then his whole household is baptized. What what a beautiful story. This is the beginning of the Philippian church. This is the beginning of this. This is the birthplace of this church. So 12 years later, Paul is writing to who? Who is the you that Paul is writing to? He's writing to Lydia. He's writing to possibly this formerly demon-possessed slave girl who's now been delivered. He's writing to a, a Philippian jailer and his whole family. He's writing possibly to some of these ex-convicts who may have eventually been released. And now they're like, we heard the gospel. We heard the good news in the prison cell. And now we're going to come be a part of this church. So let's just, just imagine the, the just a melting pot of people in this place, in this church. And imagine the potential for disagreement. Imagine the potential for disunity. And that's why we're going to go back to our scriptures. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. And we are going to just cover real quickly today five expectations for healthy Christian community. Five expectations for healthy Christian community. And my hope for you today is that you will be given some tools that will help you engage with one another in a healthy way when you realize that you don't always agree on everything. I think there have been events over the last two years that have kind of pulled the wool off of our eyes and made us realize, this person I sit next to, they watch CNN. Did you know that? Did you know that Jane watches CNN? Did you know that they read the New York Post every day? I cannot believe that. I thought they were Christians. Whatever your context is, maybe you've realized over the past few years that you don't agree about vaccinations. You don't agree about who you voted for. You don't agree about policies or whether the Costco should come or not, or whether we should shop at Sam's. I don't know. Can you believe they shop at Sam's? Oh, my goodness. We are Costco all the way, okay? You think I'm kidding, but this kind of stuff divides churches. Like, people leave churches and communities of faith because they thought they agreed on the essentials. We do not shop at Walmart. We are target people because it is high class. Target. That's right. Come on, people. Those are funny things. And we can get into the nitty gritty. But listen. Jesus' prayer for us is that we would be one. But that oneness does not come. Everybody has to look the same and think the same and believe the exact same things. There are essential things, but we are a beautiful bouquet. We are a beautiful mixture. We are a diverse population and diverse people who come from many different places so that we can be sent to many different places. 
This is a gathering where we unify and we contend together for the gospel so that God can send us, even in our disagreements, to the ends of the earth. Amen? So five expectations for a healthy Christian community. Number one is assume disagreement and expect unity. Assume disagreement and expect unity. Four, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 says, I urge you, Odia, and I urge Sintichi to agree on the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Friends, minor opinions should never overshadow major foundations. Your minor opinion should never overshadow major foundations. Think, I don't know what Euodia and Sintichi were arguing about, these women. Perhaps the Enneagram. Perhaps the, the ancient version of the Enneagram. Anybody, if, if you don't know what the Enneagram is, good for you. Okay. <laughs> if you do know what it is and you have an opinion about it, don't leave the church over it. Let's just call it that. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, I urge you, I urge them to agree in the Lord. Because why? Because a few years ago, we were contending for the gospel together. We were actually contending for what mattered together. And here they are arguing over something that's non-essential. And they're about to part ways. They're about to, to do damage to our effectiveness as a church. And just don't let them do it. I urge you. I urge you to remember that we together, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We are marked by the name of Jesus and nothing else. We have sacrificed all other identities and all other arguments that are temporary and minor. Should just that We have to accept that there will be disagreement. So don't come into this place expecting that you are going to sit beside the person and that person is going to check off all your boxes. And don't be offended when they don't. I'm I'm talking to myself too. Music selection? You don't like the songs we sing up here? Heck, I don't like the songs we sing up here sometimes, okay? So don't worry about it. Don't leave the church because of music selection. The question, the number, the number one question that every believer in the local church has to ask is, are you called to this church? You need to, settle, you need to pray about that. God, have you called me to this body at this particular place and this particular time? Am I called here? Because God does call people to places. And if God has called you here, then do I like it here or do I like all the things here is, is a secondary question. But it's not a reason to leave. And I'm not necessarily asking every one of you to, I'm, this is beautiful because I'm not the senior pastor, so you can't play the card like, well, he's just trying to get us to stay at the church. It's fine with me. I mean, Pastor Aaron's not here. I mean, we're just, y'all don't have to come next week. I don't, you know, I, I'm invested in this community, but I want you to hear this coming from I get to sit in the seats with you. I get to be a part of this community. I get to be a part of a 242 group. I get to serve on Wednesday nights with the students as a student leader. I get to the joy of leading in worship, but that's not, that's, not, that, that's not even the biggest part of what I do in this community and how I serve in this community of faith. 
But there are things. Listen, I, I'm telling you truthfully. I have sat across a table from Aaron and had, what did, what did uh, they call it in the, uh, I've engaged in serious argument and debate with Aaron. Okay? I've had sharp disagreements with Beth or with Mauricio or others. We've had disagreements. You look at us, uh, you know, wherever you see us and we're together and we're buddies and all that. We have disagreements and that's okay. The first question for you is, has God called us here? I want you to write that down. Maybe that's something you need to pray about. If you're feeling struggling with some minor issue that's affecting the major foundation of you being a part of this community or any community, because listen, if you don't settle that, then you will hop around and around. And the problem with hopping around is that you never plant roots for your children. You're okay because you've been in church all your life, maybe, or maybe you haven't. Most of you have probably been in church. You're okay to hop around. You can get fed anywhere. You can drink from this well and you can go and drink. But your children need roots. Your teenagers need roots. So don't keep pulling them up right when they're sprouting. That's one great recipe for having shallow faith. Is to keep pulling your kids out of places and bouncing around and around. Ask yourself the question, has God called us here? And then put down roots. And deal with the disagreement on minor issues. And if there's major issues, well then, have a conversation. I think, and I've said this before from this stage, but I believe that one of the greatest opportunities we have to exercise our faith on a daily basis is to have courageous conversations. But the problem is that we want to put it online. We want to do courageous face-to-face conversations. Have the guts to do it. Friend, be strong and courageous. <laughs> have the guts to have a face-to-face conversation with leaders, with the people sitting beside you. And here's, here's the next thing. Reject resentment and expect to rejoice. 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoicing is the antidote to resentment. Rejoicing binds us together. You can't rejoice and resent at the same time. Resentment leads to running. Resentment leads to ruin, but rejoicing leads to unity. Communities that rejoice together, stay together. Okay. Communities that rejoice together, stay together. All right. Our culture leaves no room for rejoicing. It's just on to the next thing, right? How many of you celebrate your wins when you have a great accomplishment at work, great accomplishment in your family? I don't. I I really struggle. Jen's much better at celebrating than I am. It's important that you stop and rejoice. Because if you don't, you will never stop to recognize the goodness of what God has done in that season and in that moment for that time. And if you don't build a habit of rejoicing, then you constantly just move from thing to thing to thing to thing, and it's a recipe for burnout. Rejoice and do not resent. Number three is be reasonable and expect God's nearness. Verse five, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Uh, The CSB says graciousness. The ESV says reasonableness. Friend, 
Be reasonable. Be able to reason. Reason able. Be someone who is able to reason. And your platform for reasoning and having reasonable conversation is not Twitter. Everybody says, it's the new public square, you know, whatever. No, it's not. It's not the town square. It might be in some sense of the word, but the place for reasonable, effective, fruitful conversation, one of the greatest still standing places for that is where? Right here. The church is built for reasonable conversation, for people from different places and different beliefs and different pathways. They come together under the covering of Jesus Christ, under a contention for the gospel, and they come together and they have reasonable conversations, not lightning rod bullets shot across the bow. It feels really good to shoot that, doesn't it? Feels really good to make that 140 character tweet, and you're like, man, that was well crafted. That was good. That's gonna make some, oh, burn, we used to say back in the 90s, right? Burn. You know, man, that is, that is just, that's sin manifesting in your life. That attitude of just wanting to drive the screw in, repent, friend. Repent and delete your account. Because Better is it for you to have your eye plucked out or your hand cut off than for you to be in your whole body to be cast into hell. Friend, repent. Repent from that need to just get that one last jab. That's not Christ-like. Who, who among us had more reason to get the jab in? Who among us was more witty and had more truth right on the tip of his tongue to get the jab in and to make it stick? than Jesus. And did he not? Or did he? What did he do? He showed us by his actions. He actually remained silent when he could have spoken, when he could have called on angels to come to him. Friend, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Friend, when you start feeling that riled up and you get your feathers rough, oh, oh, no, he just didn't say that. Mm, Come on now. And you start getting your gloves on, you know, and you're, you're working on your speed bag and you're getting ready. And you're feeling it. You feel that blood. You can feel it right now. You probably did it this morning. You're like, oh, yeah. Oh, boy, we're about to go to town. We're about to go to fighting. You know, and you're, you're getting your, whenever you feel that, you need to quit. You need to stop and you need to get on your knees before the Lord. I know that sounds impractical and that sounds silly and that sounds hyper-religious, Jesus juke. But I'm telling you, that is where community is broken to pieces. That is where you do irreparable damage to the relationships with the people right beside you. And it doesn't just happen on social media. Sometimes it happens in Thanksgiving dinners, unfortunately. <laughs> be reasonable. Be gracious and expect the Lord to be near. I love that, how he follows that up. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. The Lord is watching, yes, but the Lord is near. And remember his character, his goodness to you, his graciousness to you, and extend that graciousness to others. All right.
Number four is this, reject worry and expect to be heard. When we worry, we worry because we're unsure, because we're afraid. But I love how this scripture addresses that. It says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Friend, you have an audience with the Lord. When you are washed in the blood of Jesus, he sees you as holy and his ears are open to your cries. So you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about what that person's going to do or what's going to happen in this situation or how this is going to work out or you don't have to worry about being just and saying the right thing and having the witty response and all that. You don't have to worry about it. But make your requests known to God because he hears you. So reject worry and expect to be heard because if you know that God hears you, then you don't have to worry. Think about that. If you know God hears you and he's faithful to answer your prayers and he says that my promises to you are yes and amen, that I'm with you, that I'm the bread of life, that I will give you living water that you'll never thirst again. If that's the Jesus that you come to and you bring your needs and your, and your, your pleadings and, your, and all these things and your prayers to him, and you make your needs known to him, then you can let it go. Then you are free. No more striving. No more need to prove your point and to dig your heels in because we reject worry and we expect, we have an expectation to be heard by the Father. God hears you when you pray. You have a conflict with somebody in this room? Pray. Make your needs known to the Lord, not to your wife. Make your needs known to the Lord, not to your neighbor. Make your needs known to the Lord, not to your small group. That's where gossip, that's where... Strife, that's where contention, that's where backbiting comes. That's where all these things happen is when we take it to somebody else instead of to the Lord. Just, just next time something comes up, next time your wife or your husband or your friend starts jabbing in your ear about something, you say, biblically, have you taken it to the Lord? And they're going to be like, fine. You're going to be like that. You don't want to hear me. I'm just talking, I'm just saying, you know. If they say that, just say, hey, you got sin in your life right now. <laughs> you need to repent. And they're going to love it. I mean, they're going to really receive that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but hey, it is biblical to say, have you made your needs known to God? Have you made this need to be understood and to this confusion and need, need for clarity? Have you made it known to the Lord? And please, if, if you're on the other side of that, if you feel that pride welling up and that hand going out, take it back. Give graciousness and reasonableness to them just as they have given it to you. And allow each of us to be shaped and this community be shaped by a response to the real living word of God and not just to our own opinions and emotions. Hear me in this. All right, number five is this. Accept limitations and expect peace and protection. And the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And many of you know this, you've quoted this, um, and, and you've, you've heard this all your life. But here's, here's my, my point here, and this is what I really feel like was a, an aha moment for me as I read the scripture. I thought it always meant, which I think it does, but I've always interpreted it this way. The peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds is when you don't understand the circumstance you are in, God will guard your hearts and minds. But what I think it really means in the context is this. When you don't understand the people you are with, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. And that you right there is not for you individually. That you is for us. That is a plural you. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. When you don't understand the people around you, the peace that passes, that surpasses, that, that goes above, that, that exists beyond and in the midst of misunderstanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus so that you can be unified together to contend for the gospel. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Thank God for his peace. So here's your call to action. Culture tells us that there's a place that exists where everyone will just accept you as you are and will agree with you on everything. They will allow you to be comfortably yourself without challenging you about any of your choices. They tell us that you should, you should expect to find places like this and you should work to create a space like this. But people of God, this place does not exist. And it is surely not the will of God for the Christian community. God desires for us, yes, to come, come as you are to this place. But don't expect to stay as you are. Come as you are to the cross, but don't expect to stay as you are. That's the myth. Come as you are. But the moment you're challenged, you're welcome to leave because they don't accept you. No, the word, the word rubs us wrong. Actually, we sing a song sometimes, and I'm not sure about the, the, the theological correctness of it in, in some perspective. We say, we sing this song, you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. And I understand in one context what it means that God will never leave us or forsake us, he won't fail us. But sometimes it's going to feel like he's letting you down. Because your word says something that I don't agree with. Your word is calling me to account on something that I'm, I don't like. Or maybe a fellow believer is too. But friend, come as you are. But don't expect to stay as you are. So your action step here is contend for community. Have some face-to-face -face gracious conversations when needed. And remember that we contend for the gospel together. And come as you are, but don't expect to stay as you are. We're going to move to a time of communion. We're going to come to the table of the Lord. And friends, if there is one just example that Jesus gave us of walking in unity together, is that every week we come together to the table of the Lord. And we remind ourselves that it was the body of Christ that was broken for you, for you 
for ye, <laughs> shall we say it in the old English, the body of Christ that was broken for you. And this cup is the blood of the new covenant that he sealed for you by the shedding of his blood. Amen. Amen.